You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. County election workers find themselves targets of phishing, impersonating intrusion truth. The LDS Church discloses data compromise. SpaceX asks for Starlink funding. Does KillNet have potential to do more damage? Deepen Desai from Zscaler on Joker, FaceStealer, and Coper banking malware on the Google Play Store. Our guest is Maxime lamoth Brazard of Lima Charlie to discuss how cybersecurity is following in the footsteps of software engineering. And the gamer's attack surface? It's big. Really big. It's big. Big. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Friday, October 14th, 2022. Researchers at Trellix have observed a spike in phishing emails targeting county election workers in Pennsylvania and Arizona ahead of the state's upcoming midterm elections. The emails are attempting to steal credentials or trick the users into downloading malware. The researchers note that an attacker could use this access to achieve several goals, election interference, collection of political intelligence, or conventional cybercriminal profit-taking through sale of stolen credentials— None of these, of course, are mutually exclusive goals. Researcher Dominic Alviere tweeted that an unknown group is impersonating intrusion truth in an attempt to misidentify APT-41 as an NSA operation. APT-41 is the Chinese threat actor that carries out state-directed operations while engaging in the occasional for-profit side hustle. It's not convincing. There's much mystery about APT-41, It's also known as Wicked Panda. They're not the NSA. And you can read all about them in the FBI's Wanted poster, among other places, which comes complete with five mugshots of the Wicked Panda boys. Who is Intrusion Truth? It's an anonymous, so far unattributed group that for several years has devoted itself to outing Chinese cyber operators. The impersonation would seem to be a clumsy attempt to discredit both NSA 
and attribution of APT-41 to China. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints yesterday disclosed that it had detected in March unauthorized activity in certain computer systems that affected personal data of some church members, employees, contractors, and friends. The disclosure was delayed until this week at the request of law enforcement, who asked for the information to be held to protect the integrity of the investigation. It's not known publicly who was responsible for the intrusion, but the church's statement says U.S. federal law enforcement authorities suspect that this intrusion was part of a pattern of state-sponsored cyber attacks aimed at organizations and governments around the world that are not intended to cause harm to individuals. The church described the scope of the data exposure, stating, The breached systems contained personal data, including basic contact information, of members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The data accessed may include, if you provided it, your username, membership record number, full name, gender, email address, birth date, mailing address, phone number, and preferred language. The affected data did not include donation history or any banking information associated with online donations. What the intruders wanted to gain from the compromise is unclear. Starlink founder Elon Musk tweeted last week that this operation providing Starlink service to Ukraine has cost SpaceX $80 million and will exceed $100 million by end of year. CNN now reports that Starlink has said it can no longer bear the cost out of pocket of delivering resilient Internet service to Ukraine. The company has asked the U.S. Department of Defense for funding. SpaceX's director of government sales wrote the department early in September to say, We are not in a position to further donate terminals to Ukraine or fund the existing terminals for an indefinite period of time. There's no immediate word on the Pentagon's plans, but Starlink has become essential to Ukrainian command, control, and communications, and it seems unlikely at a time when Western material support for Ukraine is rising that the service will be permitted to lapse. Kilnet, an auxiliary under the direction of Russian intelligence services, has so far shown itself capable of little more than minor DDoS operations and website defacements. But an essay in Cyber News argues that it would be a mistake to dismiss the group as unlikely to ever amount to more than a low-skilled collection of script kiddies. Killnet had been a known criminal group before turning its attention to operations designed to advance the cause of Russia. It was a botnet-for-hire operation, and the group's criminal background and the support of the Russian state suggests that it could be quickly augmented with the personnel and tools necessary to pose a more serious threat. On the other hand, of course, it's always possible that Killnet has peaked and won't get beyond its present punk-with-a-spray-can identity— hanging out on virtual street corners, sniping butts, and throwing rocks at cars. Let me ask if any of you are gamers. There's no shame in that. The New York Times has an appropriately lurid account of how the current enthusiasm for online gaming has translated into increased criminal activity in that corner of the world. So let's say you game, as the Times puts it, to cast spells, kill zombies and compete as your favorite athletes. Maybe your guard is down, because, after all, it's zombies. But the real hoods are up and active. 
Given the sort of disinhibition one can feel in the middle of crushing it with cascade effect or even doing the Fortnite dance, your attack surface can be as open as a biome in a spleef. The rise of in-game purchases has opened up opportunities for scam artists. The amounts are often small, a few dollars, even a few cents, but as is so often the case with scams, the secret is, as Crazy Eddie used to say, volume. Who's going to think it worth their while to investigate the loss of 60 cents, one father of a disappointed Roblox purchaser pointed out to the Times. But the gaming world has bigger risks. Consider cheat codes, popular among the competitive but lazy segment of the gaming community. The Times summarizes some conclusions from Kaspersky, stating, Criminals can use fake cheat programs to disable a target's computer and steal information. In Kaspersky's analysis of threats to 28 popular games, the company found thousands of files of this type, which affected more than 13,600 people from July 1st, 2021 to June 30th, 2022. So, game with caution, friends, and don't cheat, and stay in school. After the break, deep into Sai from Zscaler on malware on the Google Play Store, our guest Maxime Lamoth Broussard of Lima Charlie discusses how cybersecurity is following in the footsteps of software engineering. Stay with us. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. Maxime Lamoth Brazard is CEO and co-founder at Security Infrastructure as a Service Provider, Lima Charlie. I spoke with him about his notion that the cybersecurity of tomorrow will look a lot like the software engineering of today. We talk about software engineering really because uh, that field has had a, a similar kind of uh, trajectory as an industry. What I mean by this is there was a point where software development or or software products or like uh, the 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 industry of building software was a very highly specialized one and it was uh it was very inaccessible right you had a lot of 
product that were sort of in the boxed software kind of realm. Uh, you wanted a database, you had to go and buy the shiny box database from one of the three vendors that had, you know, the, the, the secret sauce to do database in, in world, in enterprise space. And what happened is that the industry matured a whole lot and people started really understanding the big pieces, the big underpinning concepts that allowed for what modern software development is, which is, hey, all of a sudden, everybody knew what a relational database was. Everybody knew what a virtual machine was, uh, what you know, maybe a load balancer was. So people really got to the point where a lot of those concepts were very well understood by everybody in the industry. And as that happened, what we saw was kind of this, the, the AWS come through. And AWS, I think, uh, for me, is like the catalyst of modern software development where we're saying, hey, you know, if you're doing software development, you don't have to rebuild every single piece at every, you know, single kind of company where you're building software. But instead, you're able to reuse the parts that everybody understands how to build them. And as you do that is how you get to the point where, you know, you can start reasoning around software development kind of in the, in the modern enterprise in really nice ways because you're demystifying a lot of the, the, you know, the big underlying components. So now you're able to plan how you're going to do a certain product, explain it to people in different industries, explain it to leadership and then produce a repeatable process around that. So say so all this to say security, I think is getting to that same kind of spot where security is no longer you know, the really kind of arcane knowledge that a couple of people possess and people aren't talking and, you know, everybody thinks about it differently. But rather now people are getting to the point where we have things like the MITRE framework, right? Uh, the MITRE attack framework, which is a common way for everybody to, to think about security and the types of attacks, the types of techniques and threats. And as we're putting those pieces of shared understanding in the industry, right? At the core of everything that we do, now we are getting to the point where we can start talking about how we're going to defend against a specific attack, how we're going to detect it, what it looks like, how it can be tested against, right? Which is kind of one of the really core things in software development. And as you put those pieces of the puzzle kind of all in a line, what you end up with is a very similar kind of mentality to software development where we're able to, hey, let's start planning about what, what things need to be done, how we're going to do these things, how they're going to work together to be assembled, what's the outcome going to be, and how we're going to keep that process going into the future to make sure that you know we keep a lot of the value that we build uh, and we test against it. So it's kind of a long answer to say that really it's just a similar kind of trajectory that leads to a more mature industry, uh, you know, how we reason about security. You know, it strikes me that, that these sort of transformations can often happen in fits and starts. And, you know, I've heard several people say that we really need to shed this kind of rock star uh, mentality where, you know, we, there are some cybersecurity superstars out there, you know, names we all know. But if we're going to reach a level of professionalization, 
we can't continue down that path. And I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. It's a very interesting question. I, I think that's a that's a partially correct statement. Here's what I mean. You know, th- those rock stars, right, I think are a, a symptom, positively, I mean that, of the fact that a lot of people in cybersecurity came to cybersecurity because of passion, because it was a field where they could really push the boundaries, do, you know, more different things, really cool things, kind of go outside the envelope, the challenge. So all those positive feelings, I think, are very precious. And it's a great thing for us as an industry to try to keep those, right? I think that's the positive side of what we want to keep. Now, where that statement is correct is that we want to move past that point so that we're not just relying on this idea of, you know, I, I have three different people and they, you know, they're, they're amazing. How exactly? Well, they're doing a bunch of different things. You know, that, that, that's good, but that does not make to this point a reliable, well understood path to becoming more secure, right? It's not a reproducible process. It's one that like can work in some cases, but not everybody can have that. So I think where the sweet spot is for us is to be able to keep growing the, the maturity in terms of repeatability and kind of the, you know, the software engineering approach to things and really define that as the framework by which we want to grow. And then I think, in my opinion, what it means is that those, you know, those rock stars are, you know, I, I'll, I'll kind of shift that in terms of saying those very passionate people are able to, to still, you know, tap into that passion and drive a lot of value, but to do it in a way that very predictably benefits the, the company. That's Maxime lamoth Brizard from Lima Charlie. There's a lot more to this conversation. If you want to hear more, head on over to the CyberWire Pro and sign up for Interview Selects, where you'll get access to this and many more extended interviews. Joining me once again is Deepan Desai. He is the Chief Information Security Officer and Vice President of Security Research and Operations at Zscaler. Uh, Deepan, it is always great to welcome you back to the show. Uh, I wanted to touch base with you today on some stuff that you and your colleagues are tracking. This is some malware on the Google Play Store. What are you all looking at here? Thank you, Dave. Yes, so uh, we have a mobile and IoT uh, threat Team and that is continuously tracking different sources for you know threat actors trying to push those mobile malware uh, onto the uh, devices, uh, user devices. So as part of the tracking activity, we do monitor apps that are being downloaded through our cloud uh, from even official uh, locations like Google Play Store. 
Um, so in the recent research, uh, we talk about three different families for which uh, we observed uh, the apps making it uh, on the Google Play Store. And there were more than 300,000 downloads combined uh, that mm-hmm. we observed uh, for these apps, which were uh, actually malicious in nature. Hmm. Well, let's go through them one at a time here. What were you all looking at? Yeah, so there were three different families involved. Um, uh, the very first one is a fairly prominent malware family. It's the Joker malware. Um, it's uh, known to target Android devices. And despite public awareness of, of this particular family, it keeps finding its way into Google's official app store by regularly modifying the malware's, uh, you know, trace signatures. So including things like how do they update their codes, execution methods, and payload retrieving techniques. So that's Joker malware. Um, the second one that we noticed was uh, a face stealer malware that's specifically targeting, uh, you know, Facebook login credentials. And then the third one is Coper, uh, which is a banking trojan uh, that's targeting uh, various banking applications in Europe, Australia, and South America. Are there any things that stand out about these three? Anything particularly clever about the way that they're going about getting themselves onto the Play Store? Yeah, um, I'll mention a few things here. I mean, look, Google is doing a great job of uh, tracking this, wetting it in their sandbox, and they do um, you know, end up removing uh, hundreds, if not thousands of these uh, before they ever make up, uh, before they ever show up on the Play Store. But there are these more sophisticated family that continue changing their Tactic. So one of the tech- technique that we've seen uh, being more and more successful is where they're they're pushing this initial app, uh, which is then known to download stage two payload from a different location, right? And that location may be serving something completely benign until the app is live on Google Play Store, right? So the mm-hmm. payload retrieving technique. In fact, we saw as part of the code itself where they will check. Is the app live on Google Play Store? And if the answer is yes, then the download that will result uh, from the uh, destination will be uh, actually Joker malware payload. Uh, so that's that's one of the things that we're seeing um, being uh, fairly successful in evading some of the checks that are being performed. Uh, the second thing is where you know they they will continue to segment the code, obfuscate the code, and change the execution flow as well uh, to kind of match at times some of the legitimate applications. And that's where uh, probably it's again getting through those static analysis modules that uh, might be running on Google's side. One thing I'll mention though. We've discovered, uh, say if I were to talk about the Joker payload, we saw more than 50 different Joker downloader apps uh, in Play Store. Uh, As soon as we reported to the Android security team, they were fairly quick in taking those down, uh, right? So the response time, the tracking time is very good from Google's part. What is an Android user to do here? I mean, obviously, you know, the the Google Play Store is... Uh, as in terms of uh, sourcing your apps, is is a relatively safe place to do this. Are there any additional steps people should be taking to help protect themselves against these sorts of things? 
Yeah, so sticking to the official Play Store is always uh, the first thing. I mean, yes, some of these apps were found on Google Play Store, but uh, still, that's 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 um, very very safe compared to third-party app stores, where chance of you hitting one of these malicious apps will be much higher. So that's number one. Number two is you know it's always a good idea to do second-level check where you know. Uh, Install apps that have very high install numbers, uh, relatively positive reviews. The developer is a known developer as well. So having that second level check done uh, always helps for the end users, especially if the app is asking for um, a lot of permissions. Uh, One permission that I'll mention for for the uh, listeners, a very important one, uh, don't grant notifications listener permissions right and escalated accessibility permissions to apps that you don't fully trust the notifications listener service specifically enables the application to be added to enabled notification listener provider and and in in simple terms what this means is this app will be able to read notification and it includes critical access notifications like auto-generated one-time passwords and PIN codes, right? So they're able to bypass two factors if you give that level of uh, permission uh, to some of these untrusted apps. All right. Well, good advice as always. Deepen decide. Thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. Be sure to check out this weekend's Research Saturday and my conversation with Brigid O'Gorman from Symantec's Threadhunter team. We're discussing Noberis ransomware. Darkside and Black Matter successor continues to evolve its tactics. That's Research Saturday. Check it out. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Keltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karp, Eliana White, Peru Prakash, Liz Irvin, Rachel Gelfin, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Maria Varmatsis, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Catherine Murphy, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Fittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next week.
listeners. We're always looking for ways to improve the N2K CyberWire network and maintain the intelligence-driven news experience that keeps you in the know on the latest developments in cybersecurity. We've launched our 2024 audience survey and would love for you to take a few minutes to share your feedback. And hey, there's even a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card if you complete the survey. Visit cyberwire.com slash survey. That's cyberwire.com slash survey and share your feedback now. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the dark net, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire. Cyberwire. 